I had, I started wearing their fear and I started believing it because it's so powerful. And it's, it's like the common sense approach to the situation was that you should be afraid. So I just said, I, I at least have to, I at least have to try. When we're afraid, we build walls around ourselves. We yearn for protection, to feel safe. We hem ourselves in and keep others away. But what happens when our felt safety comes at a cost? What happens when our fear of the other contributes to others not being protected or safe? And let's be honest, who is the other anyway? How do we start to deconstruct the walls around our hearts? On a trip to visit family in Texas in November 2018, my colleague Matt Malcolm found himself returning close to the U.S.-Mexico border. Matt is a West Point graduate who served in the Army for two years before leaving as a conscientious objector. He was also a new member of the preemptive love team. Matt was riveted by the headlines of a migrant crisis on the U.S. southern border, and now he found himself so physically close to the hundreds of Central American migrants in the news clips he couldn't turn away from. As he watched, he was trying to figure out how to dismantle long-established walls he'd constructed around his own ideas of safety and security. But no one was expecting what would happen next, especially Matt. This is Episode 4, The Border Wall. I'm your host, Erin Wilson, Preemptive Love Senior Field Editor in Iraq, and you're listening to the Love Anyway podcast. A note before we begin. This episode contains reference to sexual violence that may be triggering for some listeners. A march 2,300 miles in the making ran into a closed border and tear gas on Sunday at the San Ysidro Crossing in Tijuana. U.S. border guards fired the gas across the border into a crowd of thousands seeking asylum in the U.S. after hundreds tried to rush the fence to cross. It was Thanksgiving week. Matt was traveling to visit relatives, but rather than thinking about sweet potatoes or craving cranberry sauce, he had other things on his mind as he flipped the channels. You know, I was waking up all of a sudden, like most, I think, people in the States hearing about this impending doomsday scenario where all these uh, these these migrants from Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador, uh, Guatemala were traveling in a massive line uh, right up the heart of Mexico to come, you know, break into our country and do all sorts of nefarious things. That was the, that was what got my attention. I was like, what, what are we talking about? Like, what? This doesn't... And so I uh, just it caught my attention enough to really get interested in it. Matt was commissioned as an officer in the Army, a second lieutenant. His move away from the military and into the role of peacemaker included time spent with the cadet prayer, which you can find in front of the cadet chapel at West Point. The prayer includes these words. Help us to choose the harder right over the easier wrong and not settle for the half-truth when the whole can be won. Since then, Matt has been ever pressing in to choose that harder right. 
So I uh, connected pretty early on with a guy named Gavin Rogers, who is a pastor from San Antonio. And he started, um, he, I think also felt like me, like what's really going on, you know? And so he went like, dude's my hero. He went like all the way. And so he flew down to like uh, Southern Mexico and just try, like got on flatbed trucks and like walked on the roads with, with these people for like a month. Matt began to learn, to research, to ask questions, and most of all, to listen to people who were already on the ground, including Gavin. So he told me where they were and what was going on. And we talked a lot about the, the legitimate humanitarian plight of these people, why they were leaving, what it was going to look like for them. And Ian had a couple um, interactions with UN workers who had joined the caravan too and were documenting what was going on. And they were beginning to talk about what was happening as a, um, a refugee crisis from Central America. Here in Iraq, we've learned a lot about refugees and displaced people. We understand that it is a wrenching decision to flee home, even when the safety of your family is at risk. And no one takes that decision lightly. Home is so much more than a place to sleep at night. Home figures into your identity, your social network, your ability to understand where you fit in the world. What more are you seeing right now? Well, listen, this is Anna, one of the busiest border crossings in the world, and particularly busy this weekend with Thanksgiving, with people coming back and forth now. You know, I was interested in this because I wasn't, I wasn't believing. I'm like, there's no way there's like all these, all these people, like the amount that we were talking about, like coming up here to, you know, declare their hostile intent against America. This doesn't make sense. Um, I'm like, and I think probably what's going on is that there's lots of people fleeing destabilization and violence, just like always happens with the refugee crisis. And so I, uh, you know, I wanted to get my hands on it. And then I talked to him and he's telling me, yeah, dude, like this is turning into like a legitimate, you know, refugee crisis right here on our border. And I was like, well, that's my border. And no one's telling me I can't go. And it's Thanksgiving holiday. So I'm going to go, you know. For Matt, a step in tearing down the walls around his own mind and heart meant using his time off and resources to see for himself, to use his friendship with Gavin and connections with other on-the-ground advocates and organizations to gather a team to observe, not to be the hero of anyone's story, but to listen. This wasn't a work-related mission. He dipped into his bank account, got his wife's blessing, used his time off, and got a plane ticket from Austin, Texas to San Diego, California. Matt got to the border thanks in large part to a benevolent Uber driver. Once he arrived, Matt stood facing the heavily fortified border crossing, trying to wrap his mind around the disparity he saw between the Mexican side in front of him and the fancy American mall at his back. The words from concerned friends and family rushed into Matt's mind. What was he even doing? Should he just go home? The things that people were telling me to scare me was that I should be afraid of these people and I should be afraid of the migrants because they're desperate and, you know, they're going to try to take advantage of me. And I should be afraid of people in Tijuana because they're not like us specifically was what people were saying. And so I felt that if I were to turn around at like I'm looking at where I walk through to walk into Mexico and I'm like, if I turn around right here, I'm validating all of those voices. And I don't believe any of those voices. I don't think any of that's why I'm here is to show people that those voices are just fear. 
but the thing was, is I had, I started wearing their fear and I started believing it because it's so powerful. And it's, it's like the common sense approach to the situation was that you should be afraid. So I just said, I, I at least have to, I at least have to try, you know? And I was like, well, and at this point I've got an Uber guy who will come get me. I've got some money. And I had reserved a hotel somewhere in Tijuana and I knew nothing about it. I was like, I at least have a place to go. I did my best to make sure that it was relatively safe because, you know, I was scared. My Uber driver said, look, he's like, if you really feel like you have to go in and he was just, he just thought it was crazy. Um, he's like, go in, but just don't spend the night. Stay there a couple hours, take some pictures and then just come back and call me. And I was like, okay, if, if I get to that, I'll let you know. And, and what's, what's really weird is that uh, he drops me off at the, the border crossing, like where like you can see the wall. On the border is a massive uh, mall complex where just like huge shopping center um, with like every staple of like American capitalism in there, you know, just like all the chain restaurants, all the big stores. Um, and then on the other side is something very different. That crossing, the busiest in the Western Hemisphere, only partially reopened last hour. In a statement tonight, the Department of Homeland Security says the migrants sought to harm Customs and Border personnel by throwing projectiles at them. And the agency warns the U.S. won't tolerate this type of lawlessness and will not hesitate to shut down other... So what was happening at this point? There have been people fleeing Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and other countries for years, trying to find safety and opportunity in North America. But it wasn't until this past October, when more than a thousand Hondurans made their way north together, that the wider world and the American public seemed to take notice. Since then, thousands more have traveled north, some in large groups and some as small families and individuals. Collectively, they've become known as the caravan, but there is no single organized group. The UN has decided that those fleeing could find safe places to live elsewhere in their home countries, so they are unwilling to declare a refugee situation, which would open up international funding to help. The U.S. has decided that it is unwilling to hear so many asylum claims and has closed many of the channels that used to make that possible. Nevertheless, families continue to come north, willing to risk their lives for the chance that they might make it across the border one way or another. Migrants showing up to Tijuana isn't new, but this many at once was new. And so it was just a stress on the system. And so everybody had kind of dropped what they were doing. Um, and this was what was going on. We'll be right back. Anna, the Workwell Program Manager with Preemptive Love. My favorite item in our shop is definitely the water bottle because it is multi-purpose. You can use it for anything. In fact, you should use it for anything. I feel good about my purchase because it saves the environment. You can get your own water bottle along with other items like apparel, candles, and accessories at preemptivelove.org shop. Use the code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get 20% off one item. Okay, back to the episode. So there was Matt crossing the border into Mexico. 
And what shocked him was how quiet the space was and how, well, empty. So he just kept walking. He eventually came across some organizations and nonprofits that had come, the first of them being a Veterans for Peace office. It was an organization he was familiar with, so he walked inside. A few minutes later, another man did too. Kind of the hero of my story, a man named Felix, walks in. Um, he is a, one of the many people that works with this vet Veterans for Peace post, and most of them are deported veterans who have served in the military and then been deported. And we just start talking about life and uh, ask about his story and how he ended up in Tijuana, how he ended up deported. And we just have a long conversation getting to know each other. He was in the military about as long as I was on active duty before he had to leave. Matt explained why he was there. They connected over their shared history in the U.S. military and their heart for peacemaking. And when Felix realized Matt was hoping to interview migrants but didn't speak Spanish, he volunteered to translate. The whole next day, we, we, walked, we walked all around um, and interviewing as many people as we could. My fear in the meantime is just dropping because I'm getting real. I walked in alone and I found uh, a, a friend, a really good friend. And I found someone who was like me and we fell into this great groove. Matt and Felix walked along the street. Tijuana had blocked off a few city blocks outside the baseball stadium that was acting as a migrant camp. There were thousands of people in this area, getting food, asking questions, seeking help. Matt and Felix saw a mom and her family and went over to ask more questions and permission to record. Vengo de Honduras. Um, can you ask her when she left Honduras? salió de Honduras, señora? 17 of October. Of October. Yeah. And uh, she, she got here last night. She just arrived here last night. Um, can you, is she traveling by herself? She's traveling with her three kids. With three kids. Does she have any family back in Honduras? Or Tiene she familia en Honduras, señora. Sí, tengo en Honduras. She left her two dogs, one 17 and one 16. How old are daughters? Yeah. Ask her uh, uh, what what she's hoping to do now that she's arrived here. ¿Qué desea hacer ya que llegó aquí a Tijuana, señor? Pues si yo, si hubiera trabajo aquí, aquí nos quedáramos, pero el problema, yo no tengo familia aquí, no sé cómo quedarme aquí. She said if she had family, she would stay here and work, but she doesn't have no family. And, and is that, that's why she left uh, Honduras, is she had no work? And he didn't want to do it, so they raped her 17-year-old daughter two months ago. Oh my gosh. So she left over here. To, she left over here. She came over here to get her, bring her kids. Safety. So they took vengeance on her daughter. Wow. Um, well, tell her I'm so sorry. And I'm... So two questions. The first, did she come with the, the big caravan group that came with the caravan? Oh, she just after that, her daughter got raped. She just came. She's left. Yeah, she left. She was. She, she came before the caravan. Did, did she walk the way? Caminó mucho. She said yes. Yeah. Um. Night. She she was right here. She arrived last night. What What's it like for the children to be? Uno de todos los niños está en este tipo de ambiente. 
Is, is she going to try to cross into the U.S.? But I think we're Estados Unidos. Yeah, yeah, she she is. She's going to cross the street. Matt's interview with Alma has stuck with him. He asked her what she was doing there at the border, and she didn't really know. That was a really common thing, was that a lot of people didn't know how they ended up there. They had left their home for a specific reason and ran into thousands of people walking. And so walking with thousands of people was safer than what they were doing, which was just running away from something. But I had, did not talk to anybody who really had any sort of intention other than I'm just trying to figure something out because I can't provide for my family or something very violent happened to me. And that, uh, pretty much everybody I talked to was in that boat. I did my best to try to find as many shady looking single men as I could find because I was determined to find somebody who I didn't trust, you know, um, because that's who everybody's worried about is that, oh, you know, these guys are criminals. They're, they're, they're here to uh, invade and do all sorts of nefarious things. And um, the stories were just almost identical and they were very genuine. It, it's always um, someone tried to kill me. Someone tried to kill my family. So I left. And my family was starving. So I left. I'm just looking for anything. I'll take anything. And there was just a, a profound and a deep sense of, uh, of, of desperation. Just, I'll just take whatever I can get. I'll just take whatever I can get. That's the refrain Matt heard over and over again. That's what he heard from Jean Carlos, who left his home in Honduras months before a caravan of desperate individuals began to take form as they fled north. How long has he been in Mexico? Six months. Six months. Um, why? Uh, why did he leave? No work. No work. No work. No work. And uh, so he, I guess, so he was here probably before thousands of others. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, what is he hoping to do next? The idea is to cross and make it to Canada. To not, Canada? Yeah, not stay here in the not stay United States, but in Canada. To. What does he want to do? What does he want to do? He wants to he wants to work, buy his house, buy his car, and bring his family. Of course, yeah. not the way he came, but through a, a safer way, you know, yeah. a better way. Yeah, airplane. How old is he? What those tienes? Forty-five. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if he if he could tell other people one thing about what who he is and what he's trying to do, what what would that be? Si tú le quieres decir a las personas quién eres y qué es lo que quieres hacer. En unas palabras, ¿qué, ¿qué le hicieras? Pues, mire, la verdad, la mayoría de personas que buscan el mal, que buscan dinero fácil, yo les indicaría que, bueno, lucharan pues por lo que queremos, por el que nos cueste el dinero, sí. que nos cueste lo que queremos, por nuestros sueños. Nosotros no estamos ahorita, estamos luchando. Sí. 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 Work, you know, work, yeah. work in the wrong way. Like yeah. Work legally and do the right thing. Like follow the laws. Yeah. Not, don't work in jobs that they're, they're not 
yeah. the law, you know? Well, you can tell him if it was up to me, if I had the power, he'd be there now. <laughs> but I don't have any power. So. After changes made by U.S. citizenship and immigration services, gang and domestic violence are no longer reasons one can seek asylum in the United States, even if a person's home government does not provide adequate protection. As a result, families like the ones you've heard today, fleeing threats of violence by gangs, are considered migrants and therefore not granted any special protections or permitted to seek asylum in the U.S. Much as he would like to, Matt doesn't have the power to grant asylum status to anyone at the U.S. southern border. He doesn't have the power to stop gangs in Honduras that rape young women to exact revenge on their brothers. He doesn't have a magic wand that grants justice wherever it's needed. But Matt absolutely has the power to examine the stories that cause fear to grow in his heart. He has the power to dig into new stories and to make his life an experiment in truth-seeking. He can listen, he can work to understand, he can stand with those who need a friend, and he can introduce others to the people he meets along the way. We started this episode by asking the question, who is the other? The other are single moms with three children and 25-year-old young men looking for work. In your neighborhood, the other might be bankers who love anime bakers who ride motorcycles, and little girls who love nothing more than swinging their box braids. For the majority of the world, for Honduran migrants and Mexican grandmothers making sandwiches for strangers, I am the other. You are too. As Matt stood at the border, ready to leave, he recorded this message. Right now, I think we're going to hopefully be looking for opportunities to come back and love anyway love even though uh it's it's scary and it, and it doesn't make a lot of sense and it seems like there's nothing really to be done to help that much and it seems kind of overwhelming um i think we're gonna really really try to uh press into this and figure out what that could mean to not really care about all of those things and just see the see the need and, and feel the empathy and the compassion um for people who uh, I, if I was born in a different uh, zip code, I, I would easily be doing what many of these people were doing. Where do we go from here? Where do these women, men, and children go? At the time of recording, a federal judge just gave the Department of Health and Human Services six months to locate thousands more children and parents who crossed into the United States and were potentially separated at the southern border under a policy intended to deter illegal immigration. It's easy to separate people into general categories, to reduce their reasons for leaving home down to a single motivation, war, oppression, opportunity. The real reasons people leave are more specific and often much more closely aligned to our own situations, with our own hearts. At the border and beyond, our refugee friends, asylum seekers, and migrants alike are struggling to preserve their basic safety and the safety of their families. It's up to us to start tearing down the borders that divide us, starting with the walls we've built around ourselves. I'm Erin Wilson. This is the Love Anyway podcast. Thanks for listening.
visit this episode's show notes at preemptivelove.org slash podcast to hear further interviews Matt recorded at the border and to read our easy-to-understand guide to recognize the difference between a person labeled as a refugee, migrant, or displaced. In our next episode, you'll hear from four Iraqi millennials about their views on life, work, gender divides, and what they wish the world knew about their generation. If you haven't yet had a chance, be sure to listen to our past three episodes, which continue to peel back the curtain to the work we do at Preemptive Love. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jeremy Courtney, founder and CEO of Preemptive Love Coalition. Thanks for listening to the Love Anyway podcast. Don't miss an episode. Hit subscribe now. The Love Anyway podcast is written and produced by Kayla Craig, Ben Irwin, and Aaron Wilson. Skip Matheny is our digital production director. Dylan Seals is our sound engineer. Jeremy Courtney, Jessica Courtney, and J.R. Prashal are executive producers. Special thanks to Matt Malcolm, Felix, Elma, Jean-Carlos, and Richard. Featured music was provided by Sleeping at Last and Roman Candle. <laughs>